Well, good afternoon again, and uh, wasn't that great? Wasn't that just a great sweet time? That is just fantastic. I really, really, really just appreciated how uh, God has been working these two, two ladies' lives. Uh, and when we were preparing for baptism, you know, you, you do different things, you go through a little course with people, and you, uh, you read... I was reading a couple of books. One of the, one of the practical pieces of advice that came up uh, for the baptese, or whatever the, whatever the correct phrase is, for a, a baptismal candidacy, now, I think is the correct phrase, uh, it said, don't worry, nobody has ever drowned while being baptised. Which kind of just made me chuckle for a minute. I mean, that was kind of, you know, like, oh, really? You know. um, but then... But then, on the other hand, maybe that isn't surprising. You know, some people are scared of water. Some people are scared of, of being in water. Um, I think uh, Zara and Manasseh were very brave how they stood up here today and talked to you all about their own, own faith. Because remember, that is the most common fear that we all have, is the fear of speaking in public. That is the number one fear people have, shortly followed by the usual sort of spiders, snakes... Uh, heights, that's mine, I'm scared of heights um, one young person I knew was an ichthyophobe anyone who's got a reasonable amount of Latin wants to tell me what an ichthyophobe is scared of fish she was scared of fish which is quite unusual and when I say scared of fish even the word fish finger could make her a bit twingy, you know what I mean I mean, it wasn't just like scared if you were waving one at her. I mean, even if you said the word goldfish, she would be a bit sort of like... Mm. So, a bit of a, bit of a strange one. Um, reading this passage today uh, that uh, Gwyneth so marvellously read for us, I was thinking about what Cornelius was feeling during all of this, and he must have had, I think, a few anxieties. I think maybe even... Peter and some of the other people there might have had some things that they were nervous about uh, in this sort of strange event where God has brought these people together in one room. So let me pray and then we're going to dig into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is fresh, that it is alive, uh, that it works. We have just seen it actually in action. We've seen an object lesson of it in action. Father, we pray that it would be alive to us now, that it would be speaking to us now, that it would be touching every heart, that it would be uh, opening our minds and opening our eyes to what you have. Lord, I pray that it would be effective, uh, Lord, that we would leave here uh, with a fresh sense of who you are and what you've done for us. Amen. So, uh, let me first of all uh, just point you to sort of a, a sort of a general overview of, of what's been happening here and the order in which things happened. I think this is really uh, important about what happens and what order things happen in, uh, because there's a lot of confusion about this. First of all, Cornelius and his family, uh, it says here, have, have heard something about about the ministry of Jesus. They, they so they know something about what he'd been doing. Um, it says they were devout and they were generous. Did that come after they heard about Jesus? Were they that way anyway? We don't quite know. But they'd certainly heard something about Jesus, Christianity, God in some way. And that would be 
normal. There aren't really, there aren't really many people who come straight to uh, Christianity without first of all hearing something about it first, perhaps knowing a Christian, having got to know a Christian neighbour, something like that. Um, but we know that uh, he also then heard the word of God. Peter came along to his house and actually told him the word of God, told him about Jesus. Uh, and even though he'd, he'd heard about Jesus' ministry, it sounds like he'd never actually heard the word of God preached to him at this point. Um, and notice that it's, it's, it says there, hear the word of God, that we hear the word of God. Uh, some people say that, uh, a quote from St. Francis of Assisi saying, uh, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Okay? Uh, first of all, that is not the pattern of how you see people being saved. Okay? We see people being saved after they hear the word of God. Okay? And anyway, Francis of Assisi didn't say that as far as we know. Yeah, that's just, they're just picking a name randomly and saying he said it. We don't know that he said that. Um, so, they, so these people have, uh, they know something about Christianity, they know something about Jesus, and then they've heard the word of God from from Peter, and then they are regenerated. They are born again. They are given new hearts. The Bible uses a lot of, of different words for what happens when we become a Christian. Um, the word new is usually in there somewhere. Um, but whatever it is, they, they are in an instant changed from being not okay with God to being okay with God through the action of the Holy Spirit. Bang! Right then, right there, they are adopted as his children. They are, they are a new creation. They have a new heart. And then as a sign of what has happened already, then, they were baptised. That is when they were baptised. So the change had already happened. They'd already received the Holy Spirit. Zohar and Manasseh did not receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptised then. They already have the Holy Spirit because they are Christians. Now, all that was happening, the same as you've just seen, was that uh, the baptism was a, a symbol of what had already happened internally in their own lives. And after this, and again, we're just reading perhaps something into the passage, it says in the, in the last verse, they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I think it's not too much of a stretch to say that Peter would have taught them during those few days. He would have taught them about Jesus. He would have taught them about this, this new faith that they have. Ian was reading the passage from Matthew earlier on, you know, going baptised. And again, you notice in there it says, teaching them all that I, uh, you have commanded, they have commanded you, I have commanded them. Um, because it's all very well being baptised, but that is the start of another part of your life. You still have to be taught. You still have to learn more. We keep learning about God until we die. Praise God. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up, just to be very clear with you about, about what was happening in this story and how you've seen a mirror of that happening here today. And can you imagine that? Just, just take a moment just to, like, let's do this, close your eyes. Just imagine you are there and imagine a house by the, perhaps by the, by the ocean. We know Joppa was by the ocean, perhaps it's near to the ocean. Uh, it is a, 
Perhaps there's a courtyard, we don't know. Seems to be quite a big house because there's family and friends there. And there's some excitement because this guy Peter's coming and we've heard about him. We don't know what he's going to say. It's probably quite warmer than you are now. And uh, this guy's coming, he's going to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit breaks out. It's an incredible picture. Okay, open your eyes. It's a great story, isn't it? And we're going to think about it uh, for the rest of our time, really. Um, Peter was in Joppa in the tanner's house. That's quite a smelly place. If you're imagining, if you're imagining uh, what it was like and you're closing your eyes to imagine what it was like in Cornelius' house, you need to open your nostrils to imagine what it's like in, in the tanner's house because that's a fairly, fairly uh, smelly, uh, nasty place. Uh, and uh, Peter's up there. He's up on the roof. He has a vision. Uh, Cornelius, on the other hand, is over in his house and an angel has actually appeared to, appeared to him. An angel of God has actually Gone, to, gone over to him. Uh, and there's this sense of, of God suddenly taking action in these two lives and setting a whole train of uh, things in place that's going to lead to the baptism of, of Cornel, Cornelius' family and friends. So let's have a look at, if we imagine that baptism... You know how you were all stood around here. Let's have a look at that baptism. Let's have a look at the people who would have been actually there and, and taking part. Uh, first of all, uh, Peter is uh, one of the apostles. He's one of the leaders of the early church. Uh, he'd already preached to large crowds about Jesus. Uh, he's been up on the roof praying at the time of the Tanner's house, perhaps getting a bit of privacy. He's feeling hungry. The smells are floating up from downstairs. Perhaps his tummy's rumbling a bit. And he's, oh, but he's like, oh, no, I'm going I'm, to... I'm, I want this time to pray. And God sends him a vision. And he uses this analogy of food on a blanket to teach a deep truth to Peter. Something radical. Something he hadn't appreciated before. That God is going to, through Jesus allow people who are not Jews to be adopted as God's children. First time that's been happening. And he made it clear to Peter by doing it three times. Does that idea of doing things three times and Peter ring any bells with you? Putting those two things together? Yeah, is this a guy who, uh, who needs to have things happen three times before he gets the, the drift? I don't know. Uh, they do say when you're teaching somebody something you should teach it three times in different ways. Um, I don't know. I also love the fact there in uh, verse 17 uh, it says while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision and in verse 19 while Peter was still thinking about it so he's still thinking about this vision trying to think out what does God mean? Uh, he's hungry. They're making the food downstairs. You know with me, too often, if I am hungry or, and I start to focus on getting fed or perhaps feeding someone else and I don't always perhaps think, you know, you're putting aside perhaps thinking about something that God wants you to think about. I know that often when I leave here, too often perhaps I'm thinking about my tea rather than about what's just been said. And that's the wrong way around. I need to be a bit more like Peter, I think, and a bit less like Ian. So he's off there and he goes to Caesarea 
and uh, I'm not sure whether he understands what the vision meant before he got to the house or whether he figured it out when he, when he actually got there and saw everyone in Cornelius' house. Um, and you can see the relevance. He's walked into this house of non-Jews and he's sort of like, bing, light bulb, blanket, food, what God taught me. I know what I need, need to say. And he listens to Cornelius describing the vision of the angel and he's aware that wasn't his experience. God didn't send him an angel. God gave him a vision. And so there is some, uh, some difference there. Maybe because of their uh, differences in their spiritual maturity. We don't know. Uh, maybe because Peter is an established believer would be more comfortable perhaps with the vision and Cornelius needed something more dramatic. Maybe it was because Peter had the Holy Spirit at this point. Cornelius didn't. I don't know. Um, but Peter was aware that God could, could have also used the angel to preach the gospel to Cornelius and to his friends and family. Fa- friends and family. And uh, I guess potentially the angel could have baptised them as well. But he didn't. He used Peter instead. And I think that is an important point. I think that it's fair to say that baptism is a significant spiritual event, but it appears to be designed for the church. It appears to be designed for us. It appears to be designed for humans to do. Yes, it's a privilege. It's an enormous privilege. But it is something that seems to be for the church. And Peter's probably aware that he's setting a precedent for the church as well. He is a leader in the church up to now. It is the Jews that have been baptised and become Christians and nobody else. And he knows at this point he's doing something different. The game has changed. Jews often had a very poor opinion of Gentiles. That was not biblical. That was not in any way God's intention. Um, God never meant for them being chosen as, a, as his own people to mean that everybody else was worthless. That was not the intention. But the Jews took it that way and made it something that wasn't, wasn't what it was supposed to be. Um, but I don't believe that Peter would have felt astonishment when the Holy Spirit broke out amongst the believers there. He'd already seen God's vision. He's already got a sense, I think, of what's going on at this point. Uh, so I'm not sure that the, he would share the astonishment that his friends who, who came with him would have felt. How about Cornelius? He's there, he's at the baptism, he's one of the people in the pool. Was he one of the first people in the pool? We don't know. Um, He was a Roman military commander, uh, perhaps about the equivalent to an army captain in our army in the the 21st century. So he's used to being in charge. Uh, He's used to receiving orders and to giving orders. And so in this case he receives some instructions from a higher authority. And and I'm not talking about like a general, I mean like a considerably higher authority. So he gets his orders, his marching orders, so to speak, from God. 
And he's no problem straight away about giving out the orders. He says, okay, you three, off you go, down to Joppa, Simon the Tanner's house, get Peter back up here. Uh, and we saw, again, didn't we, that he was a, a man who was uh, generous, he was God-fearing, he was devout. John Stott, an English theologian, said this, although he was a God-fearing, righteous man, he did good things, and he was well, well respected by those who were religious about him. He was a good father, but he was not a believer, and he still had to be saved. In other words, at that point, you know, it's all, you know, it is a good thing to do good, but good deeds are not enough to make us righteous with God. Even making offerings to God, even coming to church, is not enough to save us. It is only when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus that we are saved. That's why we asked Sarah and Manasseh those two questions. Have you repented of your sins? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? But he understands that something important is about to happen. Yeah, he's had the he's had this visit from an angel. So realistically, he knows that this is not just going to be some guy turning up and asking for a pint of milk or something. You know, I mean, he knows that there's something significant going on here. There's going to be something important happening. Uh, he'd invited his family and friends around because of that. Uh, in the same way as Zara Manassi's family are here as well. Uh, he'd been told to have Peter brought. Uh, he might have been expecting a nice talk, perhaps. Uh, I think probably he was expecting more than that. We know he'd heard about the ministry of Jesus, so I think he knows there's a bit more going on. Um, and probably had some idea of that the talk would have something to do with Jesus. He knows Peter was his disciple. He knows that the talk is going to have something to do with Jesus. So, okay, you know, imagine the scene. Cornelius is there. Here's Peter. You know, okay. But, but I do not think Cornelius had any idea at all of what would then happen. I think if you had said to Cornelius that as Peter was preaching the word, bang, the Holy Spirit turns up. Even before he finished preaching, and he wouldn't just come on Cornelius, he's going to come on all of his friends and all of his family who were there. Cornelius is a military officer. He's likely to be, he's not likely to be given to you know, flights of fancy. He's going to be someone who's a, a trained observer. He's someone who's not going to be just given over to like uh, craziness or whatever or, or flights of fancy. Was he surprised? I'm sure he was surprised. And I suspect there was just an overwhelming emotion of, of joy, of, of unexpected, Holy Spirit-filled joy. Because it's just, bang, straight on him. And that's the action of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Isn't that the action of the Holy Spirit? We, do, we don't expect it. When, when we become Christians, we're, we're not expecting it. Most often we're not really aware of it. We might have heard of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure we would, we would understand that. And yet the Holy Spirit was really at work here, wasn't it? Working hard, doing what the Holy Spirit does. 
Think about that. Think about how the Holy Spirit is at work. Think about how the Holy Spirit is at work even today. Imagine, imagine a world map. Imagine a world map. And imagine ten years ago, the Holy Spirit in Tehran, Tehran, in Tehran, working on Paulette's heart to invite Zara and Mohammed to church. That's the Holy Spirit working there. Imagine in Kinshasa, in the Congo, a little baby girl is born and William and Jean-Pierre start teaching from a very early age Manasseh about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work in Northern Ireland. The Holy Spirit is at work in Scotland. The Holy Spirit is at work in Cameron. The Holy Spirit is at work here in Rotherham. And it's bringing everyone together and working out and working hard and doing things and behind the scenes and setting something in motion that takes place ten years later and you can see today what happened. You can see today the result of that, of the Holy Spirit being at work and doing what it needs to do. But did you spot these other people in the story as well? How about, how about Peter's mates? So he's brought some people with him from, from Joppa. It says in chapter 11 that there were six of them. And they've come along expecting... Expecting what? What were they expecting? So they're Christians. They've already got the Holy Spirit. They've, they've seen Peter. We don't know when they first met Peter. They may have been there with him at Pentecost. Uh, he may, they may have heard him preach already. So they kind of know what the deal is, you know. Um, but they also know they're going to a house that belongs to a non-Jew. They were Jewish, okay? They were Jewish Christians. Those were the only Christians we had at that point. Um, and most of the Jews didn't have a very good opinion of Romans, particularly the Roman military, because they were enforcing the taxes and they were basically occupying their country. Now, we don't know exactly how Jesus' followers were feeling about that. Did they have a more measured view of the occupying Roman soldiers uh, after their conversion? We don't know. Uh, it does say in the passage, Cornelius was held in a high regard by the Jews, so they may have been aware of that. They may have been like, okay. Um, they would know he was a fairly senior military guy. And we know that uh, when, the, when the people he sent to Joppa were talking about it, they said, he's an angel of the Lord. So they know he's had a vision from God. So they know something's going on here. Were they a little wary and a little suspicious? You know, is this guy legit? Is this, did he really have a vision? Is he having his arm? Is he pulling his leg? Is he, is he going to do something to Peter, our mate? Now, remember, Christians were being persecuted. Um, maybe. Were they expecting God to save those friends and family of Cornelius? No way. I do not think so at all. And I think that, that it's a little bigger than a surprise to them. It uses the word there, astonishment. 
This is like uh, 21st century Yorkshire parlance. This is gobsmacked. I mean, this is just like totally and utterly out of the blue. They weren't astonished because someone had been saved. They've, they've probably seen that already. They themselves have been saved. That's okay. What they're astonished at is that it is a non-Jew who has been saved. Um, if you're here today and you're a Christian, who would you be astonished if the Lord saved? Who would you be flabbergasted if somebody was saved, that person was saved? Who is that? Is that your Muslim friend? Perhaps your Eastern European neighbour? One of your parents, perhaps. Your atheist co-worker? Your lesbian cousin? The person who committed murder and is doing time in Armley? Who is it? Surely we should not be surprised that God is going to not just save people like us, but that he can save anyone and that he does save anyone. And, in, and the more far-fetched it is that God saves them, the more glory goes to him. The better it is, actually. Rotherham is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-everything kind of place. We see divisions in our society. Even if we don't see divisions in our society, we make them, to be honest with you. I don't know about you, but my, one of my pet theories is that the human race <coughs> likes divisions and makes them if there aren't any about you know, there's people from Shropshire. Shropshire, can you believe it? Um, newsflash, God only sees one division. Saved, not saved. That's it. He doesn't see or worry about the rest. But bear in mind, there's no grey areas with that division. It's saved, not saved. It's a very sharp line. He sees all of us bear his image. We don't see that. He does. He, know that our, he knows that our lives have been designed to live with him forever and he knows that they've all been distorted by our sin and rebellion. And he wants us to freely choose him over a life of self-sufficiency and self-centeredness. He wants us to live rather than die and yet we don't. We can't. We cannot. We cannot ourselves choose him. We, we just of too much darkness in us. We'd rather go our own way. And so he sends his Holy Spirit. He sends his Holy Spirit to Tehran, to Rotherham, to Kinshasa, to Uganda, to Northern Ireland. And he calls people to himself. He makes a people to himself. He does it when he shows us what his son did, what his son is, the payment he made on the cross when he died. And he says, come, come and follow me be one of my people. There's a fourth group. You see that? Cornelius' family and friends. Some of them have undoubtedly heard about Jesus. We get that from the, from the passage there. And uh, some of them maybe hadn't. What had Cornelius said to them when he invited them round? Many Christians here have invited non-Christians for their homes, for different for dinner or for events or to have a chat, whatever. What were they thinking? Uh, 
What did Cornelius say? What did he say? Oh, you need to come over. Come over to my place. I've got this bloke coming, Peter. Diamond Geezer, great guy. He's going to tell you a bit about Jesus. He's going to tell you a bit about what's going on. Uh, you'll never guess what. I had an angel. An angel came to me. An angel came to me and told me to send to Joppa to bring this guy, Peter, so he could talk. Come over to my house. Come and listen. It's going to be, I don't know what he's going to say, but it's going to be really good. You know, quick, come over. There'll be cake. There'll be cake as well. Yeah, just come over to our place. No, he doesn't say the cake. Um, and what are they thinking at that point then? When they, when they get that invite, are they thinking, Cornelius, he's a nutter, he is, you know. Has he seen an angel? Huh, he's a nutter. Uh, uh, well, you know, he's my cousin or my friend, my neighbour, so I'll go and support him. You know, even though, even though I don't really want to. I'll go and support him with this Peter bloke because he's, you know, he's me, he's, me, he's me mate, he's me friend. Oh yeah, Pete, that Peter's coming over, I've heard about him, you know. He's part of a cult, you know. He's part of a strange cult that's happening. I'm going to sit at the back and play with my kids and uh, I'll just ignore him. A bit like. Or perhaps you're thinking, I hope this is short. I need me olive press servicing. I hope he's quick. I don't want to be hanging around. Or maybe they've never heard of this bloke. Uh, I don't know who he is, but I need to keep on Cornelius' right side. You know, I don't want to upset my neighbours. Uh, or perhaps this should be really good. I've heard about this guy, Peter. This is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Or perhaps I'm just claiming, I just came in to clean the urns. I didn't know what was going on. This guy's coming, so I'll hang around and listen. We don't know. Whatever they were expecting or thinking, they were not expecting that even before Peter had finished talking to them, the Holy Spirit would come on them and they would be converted. They were not, I guarantee you, expecting that. They believed, they worshipped, they, they were speaking in tongues. This was not what they were expecting when they walked in the door. And they hung around at the end. They stayed with Peter. I think it would be, I think it would be fair to conclude that these people stayed around with Peter while, while he was there and as he taught them. But what about you? What about you? you? We've been looking at that as if you're watching it on a TV screen, let's say. Or you're watching it on a cinema screen. I don't know if you've heard of the thing called the fourth wall in, in TV. The fourth wall is the idea that you are looking at the show through a wall and it's the fourth wall. And when the people are acting out the scene, they're, they're acting out the scene with each other. They never actually turn to you watching and address you. Yeah, they're, they're acting out the scene amongst themselves. Rather like the story here that Gwyneth talked about. But if they did that, if they sort of stopped for a minute, turned around and talked to you, what would they say to you? Or what would you say to them? If you're a Christian, you might be wanting to talk to Peter and his six friends. Or you might be wanting them to talk to you. You might be saying, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, Peter, I, I, I feel your your uh, urge to preach the gospel but I also know it's hard sometimes and it's hard to find the words or oh, to his friends perhaps you want to say you know don't be surprised or, or his friends are saying to you don't be surprised 
Don't be like us. Or you might be like Cornelius. You might be thinking about, about Cornelius. Like, yeah, you know, you, you're not expecting what's happening here. Praise God that God has actually saved you. And Cornelius is like, you can't understand what I've just been through. The joy that I've just experienced. The incredible time I've just had. Which one are you? Which group do you identify of those four? Peter or Cornelius? Peter's friends? Cornelius' friends? Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to be at work? Are you expecting the Holy Spirit to be at work in the lives of the people around you? Or in your life? Or in the life of your family? Or your friends? Do not be surprised. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is working hard. He can do anything. And he's working in your lives and he's working in the lives of those around us. Let's pray.